This is Joseph Gervasi. I'm here with Pierce Jordan and Ruben Polo of Soul Glow, and we are recording this interview at my house in the Roxborough neighborhood of Philadelphia. Today is May 12, 2015, and this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Gentlemen, thank you for coming to my house. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so we're gonna, I'll bounce back and forth between the, the two of you in terms of getting your, your basic beginning story, and then we'll just sort of take it from there. Uh, so I guess we'll start with you, Ruben. Can you tell me where you were born and when? I was born in North New Jersey on New Year's Eve, 1985. And can you tell me a little bit about what your neighborhood in, in Newark uh, was or is like? Um, when I grew up, uh, my family didn't let me go outside for fear of uh, the neighborhood kids. I lived really close to Brandsburg Park. And generally, like, my family was scared I was going to potentially run into a wrong crowd because of my size. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You were always uh, big. Yeah, I've, I've been, when I was nine, I was like 5'7", 150 pounds. They were like, you just don't go outside. <laughs> so I just, um, we were near a police station, so we didn't get much problems. It was the police station and a liquor store across the street from one another. Mm -hmm. The two and, authorities. It was a beautiful time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, nah, my, my family mainly made sure I was inside and if I was out at any other point it was because I was playing basketball like a local Y like mm -hmm. my family did not let me go outside till ninth grade and my dad like bought a little two-bedroom apartment in Union what were you doing in the house all that time uh, I mean it's to say you know what were your interests or what were you you know what were you engaging in I in read a lot actually but like whatever books I could get a hold of like I read Goosebumps books uh, somewhere around fourth grade my dad became really serious into religion and would have me like read parts of the Quran or like old uh, old Rumi poems uh, TV TV was my friend mm -hmm. I didn't have many friends growing up uh, kind of fell into music around 6th 7th grade when I heard Green Day on the radio and Real Big Fish on this like weird channel called The Box what was and The Box? The Box was kind of like MTV before MTV Total Request Live or whatever that was, before it was that, there would just be every video known to man scrolling across the bottom with a little four-digit code. You'd call this number and type in the code, and then that video would show in whatever succession it was called in at. Mm -hmm. So some days it would show a lot of punk videos. Other days, Missy Elliott. Some days people would troll and just play Nirvana videos from sunup to sundown. Right. And it, was it punk for you first? Because you said Green Day was... But the first, like, it. punk band I've heard, I grew up with Spanish music, mm -hmm. like, a lot of salsa that my grandparents were really into, and, like, really bad, like, soft hip-hop, like, the softest of hip-hop, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, like, old R&B, because that's what my dad would play out the car all day. Yeah. Pierce, uh, so tell me, where were you born and when? Um, actually, I, I was born in Panama, on November 20th, 1992, um, to my mother and father. <laughs> what, 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 what was the significance of Panama? Um, my, mo <laughs> my mother was, uh, she worked, she was in the Air Force. I don't remember her rank at that time, but she was in the Air Force and she was stationed there. And my father is a, was a government employee, he still is, um, and... Uh, yeah, she she had gone. My mom had been stationed in Korea, and the United States, and Panama, and then we moved to the United States again when I 
was three and my little sister was an infant. Both myself and my younger sister were born in Panama. Do you have any recollections of being there? Um, like, they're, they're, they're like, they're like snapshots because I was like an infant, but I, I just, I do, I do just like have very, very vague memories of just very like sunny days and very tall trees and, um, and just, I, I just, I really remember like this one image of like, of a house with this very specific style roof that I don't know like the name of. Um, but she's like, that's like the strongest image. I just remember it's like very hot. And, uh, I think I was like, I think I'm like being carried by either my mother or father. That's like, that's, that's like one of the earliest memories mm-hmm. that I have. After you left Panama, where did you go to? Um, we lived in Virginia, in, uh, Yorktown, Virginia, near Norfolk for, for another three years. And then we moved to Maryland and I lived there for, uh, 13 years before moving here. Did you have a fairly strict upbringing, considering what your parents did? S- sort of, yeah. Uh, it was... I feel like it was much... It was definitely less of a... Of a what I, it was less of what I could and couldn't do when I was younger. And more just so, of like, discipline. Because I was, like, a very boisterous child. Mm-hmm. And I think that I still am. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I... Uh, I just remember like getting like spanked a lot, but I definitely like me- like m- like mellowed out <laughs> like toward like as I as I started to get older. But I've always just been very uh very like very social, so it was like kind of difficult <coughs> for um for my parents to to keep to keep me uh, under wraps as much as they wanted me to because I think they really wanted me to become become some kind of like like reader or something and it worked kind of but i uh yeah i don't know it was it was it was i think it was definitely difficult for them to really be uh as strict as they wanted to be and like over time we kind of came to an understanding mm-hmm. um but yeah my like my I, in terms of like when i was like in in high school i was really starting to get serious about like wanting to just have as many uh like musical experiences as possible i was really i I faced like a lot of like nervous resistance from my parents who just like i mean they were they wanted to be as supportive as possible which i really appreciate but uh they were also just like very concerned with making sure that i like had uh my my priorities in order Mm -hmm. um were you drawn to uh, punk or hardcore early on, or, or did you were you into other music before that? I remember like really getting like I, the first band that I really ever really liked was System of a Down. I don't care, I don't care what anybody says. I, I love that band. I love that band. And Ruben is very it, excited. Yeah. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one can see your <laughs> hand gestures, but, but they were happy. One of the first things all four of us were like, no, no, yeah, we like this over <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I was in, yo, know, I was in fifth grade when I like when I like when I heard this movie down and had like a real connection to any kind of musical four, and I just and like like and like hearing like lyrics and being and like like hearing like prison song and them just I don't know that like, I never I don't know I didn't think about jail. <laughs> like as like as like a fifth grader. Was it because and, they were addressing like more serious subjects than pop music? Yeah, definitely. When I when I, I like I like caught on to like the political aspect of of them like like very early on, and I liked I liked to pretend that I knew 
more about what they were talking about than I did. And I was, like, really enthusiastic about, like, thinking of myself as, like, very politically minded when I was that age. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just because I wanted some reason for all of my fifth grade friends to, like, actually like me. Because I really, I don't know, I have, I have like, a really <laughs> big problem with, pe- with, with, like, really feeling like people liked me at that age. And I, I was, like, very, uh, I was, like, very uncomfortable a lot of the time. Uh, around like kids that I went to elementary school and middle school with, even though I and I feel like that like ha- that discomfort like really manifested itself in how like overly social I tried to be. Mm-hmm. Did, did you find <laughs> that that was a successful tactic? That it, no, uh, so it did, no, because I, I was just like a stinky weird kid. That, <laughs> like, that's what, like, I was like I was like just this like weird smelly kid. No, they tried and I hated it. And I just like, I don't know. I don't know what my problem was. I hated it. I, I really did not like bathing as a kid though. Uh, <laughs> you were a crusty child. I was just like, yeah, I was like a, I was like a really stinky kid. And I really liked it. You must to, be very comfortable in West Philadelphia then. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. But no, I was like a really, I was just this weird kid. And I like to, I like to try to get people to understand like why I really liked, uh, cause I really, I just like, I really liked, uh, like really bad metal at that time also and bad metal such as uh, <laughs> if it's fifth grade you can get a yeah it was like, yeah i'm wearing a, yeah, i'm actually currently wearing a black dahlia murder t-shirt but there was uh, <laughs> there was a, a no there was just like a number from like the time i was like in fifth grade to the time i was in eighth grade i was really into like that sort of phony death metal that was like that was very popular in like the mid 2000s and that sort of like led me down the road to getting into like grind and a lot of other music that I guess I would consider more legitimate. But I don't. It's I. But it was. I I feel like my my tastes also like really uh, <laughs> changed a lot with like the kind of like the the kind of stinky kid that I that I. You know that I was all of these years, and and now I'm like this stinky almost man. So we have a beard. That makes I have a man, beard. right? I can't grow a beard. <laughs> Forty four years old, like forty three or something. I think you have that. You have that. I know you can get a good mustache if you try. Mm, it's it's gonna look like this. Like if I kept this for three weeks, it would just look basically the same. Like a fucking <laughs> rat. Four months. I can't, I can't grow a beard either. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Congratulations. This is. This is I feel. Like I I just. <laughs> it doesn't grow any farther than this, and some people have those beards that grow forever. I would, yeah, I my brother can grow a beard down to here. Yeah, that would be great. Get into that some other time. Um, how did you go, Ruben, from uh, Green Day to, uh, I guess, more you know serious uh, punk or hardcore or whatever? I started... <laughs> I got really lucky when I was uh, 13. There was this like, hole-in-the-wall like DIY spot. Town over for me called The Cove. And this black woman, Jane, ran it. And apparently her and the bouncer knew my mom from when I was a literal baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, I went there for a show once and I saw these new metal bands and I was like, I think I like this. And she was like, very much being like, you should come to more shows, like do this, do that. And I guess it all changed when uh, she gave me free tickets to go see Living Color. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was it. <laughs> I remember like, this is it? I, this is all I care about? Dude doing a fucking bass solo, like on an upright electric bass. Dude still wearing a 
and then the singer was still wearing that leotard doing backflips. This like, was a while after their popularity, right? Because I think oh, yeah, they, like, like, they were immensely popular maybe in the, the late 80s. But oh, yeah, this is like been... early to this is like 99, 2000, like around there. Right. And At that point, I guess it's sort of a nostalgia act for, for some yeah. people, right? You know, people who saw them back back then and then come to see them. It was, it, was, it was going bad enough that they had tickets to give away to this small little DIY space next to yeah, a bowling yeah. alley. Yeah, that hurts. And she she was, like, very encouraging about getting into things and, like, they used to kind of watch over me. And, like, that's where I saw every style of music that I learned to care about later on, everything from, like, street punk to, like, black metal and like mm-hmm. popping in between like I saw that club for three years like basically my high school life yeah. but coming from being trapped in your house for so many years did you feel that when you were going to these shows that you were accepted by the people who were at the shows or that the certain groups of people at shows were more accepting of you than other groups uh this punk kids hated me because I wasn't cool enough yet yo cause like I didn't, I didn't understand anything because no one was there to show me. So, like, Goodness. a lot of punk kids hated me when I was a kid. New metal kids were nice to me. Uh, I guess emo kids at the time were, like, okay with me and, like, metalcore kids. But, like, I remember being a kid, like, I really like Discharge. And all those kids were just like, fuck you, man. They don't like Discharge? What the fuck's wrong no, with they, No, they were just, like, <laughs> they just shitty. Like, they just hated me when I was a kid. And, like, it, it was what it was. Like, that was the last type of music I, like... Kept going to shows too for a while because I remember like just being a kid and, like no one even wanted to be nice to me and I was like this really fat fourteen year old kid just like I'm just here because like it's a Friday and like I scrounged up five bucks somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you but, feel when you were coming into the punk scene that the punk scene was accepting of you? I mean, how did you come through in, into the you know the actual scene? Um. So well, the first band that I ever started, I was in. Seventh, sixth or seventh grade, and it was with like my two neighbors, this kid named Danny, this other kid named Chris, and we. There were like shows in my town, uh, and they were put on by this ch- by uh, by this church as well, a couple of church. There were a couple of churches doing it, and it was kind of like, I mean, it was kind of like, definitely like the vibe was like these these older people are letting your bands play because they want you to, you know, it, it's for the kids, you know. And but so, they they were religious, like they yeah exactly. And, so it was like so like the vibe was like kind of like weird, and there were a lot of like my like I'm from like a like a like a, like the town I lived in in Maryland is like very rural, and there is not very much to do besides drugs, and so a lot of kids like really jump on to like getting into music because they don't have anything else to do really, mm-hmm. and um, so like when these churches were putting on these shows, that's that was kind of where I, I already know that I just like totally forgot your question so I'm just gonna I guess just keep going down this road but uh, I feel like <laughs> I just, you can go down the road or I can actually tell you what the what question, was, the question? Was. Well, I was I was asking if you were accepted when you were coming into the yeah. punks and did you feel like you were you know, so, a part of this so thing? there were like all these different kinds of kids that all kind of were doing it for the same reasons but I was, I was still kind of in this like weird social place where I felt like totally inferior to everybody around me and then I started like going to these like local shows at these churches and like all of these like people I felt like were just like so cool and I felt like that that kind of invited a lot of people to act like they were cool mm-hmm. and <coughs> so I don't know to be honest I just like don't I just I don't know <laughs> if like if they were like really accepting of me because part of me feels like they 
were being nice to me because like I don't know I got I definitely got like a lot of remarks like early on about like being like the whitest black dude that people know and just be and just being like it's like wow like because like, I'm again I'm from like a, a suburban town that's like basically bordering on being in the south mm-hmm. uh, and it's just uh, you know it's just that's just how it goes and so it was like yeah I don't really know exactly what people's perceptions yeah. of me were because it was like uh, I I was I was feeling weird about myself and I felt like I mean a lot of people said things to me that made me feel like they felt weird about me being there but you know I don't know I, I definitely made my share of friends also and it made me want to keep doing it and I mean I definitely got like more and more comfortable with people around me uh, but I, it's definitely also like <coughs> not perfect yeah. I think a lot of times people of that age or really probably any age are so insecure and self-involved that they're probably paying more attention to themselves exactly. than you so yeah. if they seem like they're pushing you away they're probably look, thinking to themselves like are my shoes okay does my shirt look okay yeah, that's, that's what hair, I was you know? worried about yeah that's probably the case of every fucking person in that room but you know some of them manage to put off a better facade than others you know they seem to appear that they're not thinking those thoughts yeah yeah and it was I mean but for for the most part it was just like a very addicting experience I mean even though there, yeah there were def- I definitely remember like my share of kids that I didn't like but it wasn't even really like like when I was going to shows it wasn't like punk at all so that's like that's why I started talking about System of a Down because I guess I didn't like start getting involved or interested in punk until I started to get into high school because I kind of avoided it because I had like a bunch of just like assumptions about what I thought it was based on what people like around me were showing me because anybody who did listen to punk it like in my area listened to like really dumb shit mm-hmm. that, <laughs> and like and just like people person after person trying to push rancid on me and i'm just mm-hmm. like jesus christ i don't give a shit but <laughs> but like so considering both of you are coming from the, the <coughs> younger end of the spectrum of the people that i've interviewed by the time both of you came into punk, punk was something that had been around for a really long yeah. time so i always wonder what for for uh, the younger people that I talk to, what is the appeal of something that's that you're that far removed from the beginning of it? Like, I know, like when I was in high school, people were really into like '60s music, which to me seemed like that was the ancient past. But punk, you know, at the time that the two of you come into it, is you know 1976, '77, mm-hmm. and you've got hardcore coming around 1980. What's the, what's the appeal to this thing that's been around so long? I I grew up in the area where. Like, when I went to high school, I was, like, I was considered too white by the black kids because I didn't care that much about, like, DMX and everything. And then, like, all the black, all the white kids were, like, oh, you're, you're, like, you're, like, the safest black dude we know. And I was just kind of, like, cool. So, like, I felt... And that would be true of you as well, safest black Yeah, I definitely <laughs> heard that. And, and yeah, I just felt, absolutely. like, kind of, like, awkward from both ends because I was still, like, too black to be around any of the rich kid white dudes. And I was, like, not black enough to hang out with any of, like, the dudes from my area. So, like, the only place I could go where no one was really giving me that much guff was, like, pump music. <laughs> well, economically, just throw this in. Like, what would you consider your families to be in terms of, like, middle class, upper middle class? Honestly, or... like, my my family was, like, an upper middle class family. Like, okay. and that's and that, that was also a weird thing because I think I had a lot of friends who, like, I, I really started to get into punk when I, like, developed, like my high school friend group and they were all into like indie rock a lot but also like knew a lot about other 
like forms of underground rock like punk and then like I don't know from like there was just like a, there were a few bands that that friends of mine would like suggest to me and then I would kind of just try to look for like the like the, the, the harsher versions of that because I was always like drawn to <coughs> just, like really like <coughs> aggressive angry shit and that's like how I got into like Circle Takes the Square and like I don't know uh, I mean other other bands that were that were kind of in the middle ground between like this new like like closer to indie rock thing and then like shit like Discordance Axis which I was like jamming in like middle school mm-hmm. um and then where, where would you put your your family uh, sort of class wise or economic wise I know that my dad tried really hard for it to come across to everyone that we were like doing really well but I know that we were like Lower middle class, the middle class at best. <laughs> okay. My dad, like, my mom lived with all three generations of her family in one house. And then up until high school, up until my dad got married, again, to someone else, we, it was like three generations in my grandma's house. Mm-hmm. And then he got this two-bedroom apartment so I could go to school in a slightly nicer neighborhood. But, like, he was barely home and working all the time. Bad. Okay. Uh, something I want to get into more later, but I want to touch on now because we're still talking about both of you at a fairly young age. But if you can tell me who, if you had any role models as a young person, the people that you, you looked up to um, and had an especially special, strong interest in, and either of you can. <laughs> Jane, the woman Jane who ran that club. And what was it about her that you, you looked up she to? Was the f- <laughs> she was the first non-white person I had met through music and like she got she she had respect she was happy she did what she loved in a place where like there were not many of us there weren't a lot of us doing it mm-hmm. so did it make you feel like you as a non-white person could also be involved in this thing that's what i think kept me going because i still remember like going to a show and some kids were like <laughs> We're talking about Hitler in the bathroom stall, and like I was like, it's a good place to talk about Hitler, though. Yeah, I was like fourteen, <laughs> and I think I think it was these shitty punk kids just trying to like scare me because like it was just me and her were the only two non-white people there. Yeah, and like I just sat there and I was like, what the fuck? And like I went outside, and they were like those kids trying to play uh, white power, and I was like, yeah. And she was like, just smack, like literally just run up on them and smack them. You won't get kicked out. <laughs> I'm sure you're much bigger than them too. At the time, I was like, they were just tall and skinny, but I was like 14. They were like 17, 18, like, in my head, I was just like, yeah, the, the fuck it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, she's like, she's one of the big reasons why I kept doing anything with music. And Pierce. Yeah, I had a couple of teachers, um, like, when I was, who just, like, really made me realize that music was something that you could use to communicate you know like versions of yourself and your feelings about yourself and i was really fortunate like in my in my town there was like a uh, like a like a business that was like it was like started by this dude and he like wanted just like kids just come take lessons there and he like hired he like, like it like grew and he eventually hired a bunch of teachers and um and like i had a couple of different teachers there and like, <coughs> even like the like the not so great ones uh, still kind of like helped me to realize that like music was something that I like needed to use to survive and not just like you know a th- not just have it be just like a hobby and like I I feel like I 
just owe like it, like an immeasurable amount to like to any person who was like like helped like helped me to like internalize that um but i like i would say like mainly like my base teacher uh is a dude named anthony malatesta like really like had me thinking about music on like a spiritual level and like really like in like more than anybody else maybe that i've ever met besides like my father who also kind of had me like on that path like really thinking about music as something that you use uh, as a tool for like self-actualization and I don't know I also like really only want to be in bands with people <coughs> who use who use uh, music to that end mm-hmm. and I don't know I'm like I feel like very grateful to have met Ruben for that reason because I feel like he also uses it like like for like self-actualization and like any any person who like has that same uh, that same inclination to like is like a role model to me, and it's like I like I am like partly like in awe of any person who like sees something that you know is the you is like just commonly thought of as like a commodity is like he sees it more as something that you you just like you used to survive. It's kind of I can't really say it any, any differently than that. I understand. Um. Let's get the two of you to Philadelphia. Uh, how how did you both wind up coming into the city? And I guess we'll start with um, I was 17. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. It was time to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a couple days before I turned 18. Uh, what, what was the... Was there a pressure on you or what... <clears throat> You're afraid of getting stuck in a rut, or what was the deal? That why was it time to go? Um, staying in New Jersey was not uh, helping me evolve at the time, and uh, at the time, the only viable option was to get out. I think most New Jerseyans would probably agree with that. <laughs> it was right? just it was just time to go, and I just so happened to have been dating someone who was moving to an apartment. She was six years older than me, and I just kind of. Dipped on like moments notice, like brought a bag of clothes and was just like, all right. And that was to here, yeah, Philly. And what part of Philly did you come into? Oh no, the first like the first like year or two, I was like st- I was like sleeping in a bedroom in Horsham. Horsham. I didn't like. I just got out of here. I had some friends in Philly. <laughs> yeah, it was living in this two bedroom. It was four of us living in this two bedroom apartment in the middle of Horsham, and I did this for three years, and I was like. I'm gonna get married and all this craziness and like we break up and then I found a place to live in like Lansdale and then I was homeless for a year after that sleeping on like fields and park benches like you did it for a year yeah Jesus that's uh, (laughs) (laughs) in between Lansdale Limerick and parts of like West Philadelphia and then I got to like the Northeast and then just kept doing this until I finally moved to Kensington about six years ago. Mm-hmm. And then it's been stable the last six years. You live in Kensington now? Nope. I was in Kensington for three years. They're on house Kensington. shows. Mm-hmm. And then I lived in, uh, I currently live in West Philly, 55th and Pine. I've been there for three, almost three years. And it's finally hit 
a stable point these last couple of years. I'm glad you're not living on a bench any longer or in a field. It was, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> I guess it's a life yeah, experience. I definitely learned some things in that time. I'm sure. Uh, what about Philly for um, you, Pierce? I, it wasn't always my intention to move to Philly. I, 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 I was moving out of the house to go to college because that was basically like the, the path that my my family had set me on like my family's full of college graduates and they were just like you are a black man in america you are going to college <laughs> you have no like you have no other choice and it was kind of just like it was never a discussion even though like the overtime kind of felt like college was not really for me at all what are you going to college for i go to college for uh, english i'm uh yeah, finishing up undergraduate studies in English, and um, what do they have you reading now? Uh, a bunch of crap. Combo. So, so they, is it really crap? It's not. It's not all crap. It's actually all totally meaningful if you choose to <coughs> look for meaning in it. But and you're not. Uh, no, I totally am because I'm sitting there spending all this money. But you know, I dig- <laughs> I, I, dig- I digress. Uh, the reason I I immediately like, like getting out of. Uh, getting out of high school, I wanted to go to music school because I was like, that's, that's it. I don't want to focus on anything else but music. And I wanted to... So I auditioned for uh, the Berklee College of Music um, and I was like totally idealizing it, thought it was going to be like the place that was going to really put me on the path to just like whatever like weird vague idea I, I had of professional musician that I... like Because like, I don't know. I just, I just like really did not even know what that meant. And I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll learn it in college because that was back when I thought you could really learn things in college. And so, I didn't get accepted there, and I was, I kind of like, I went through a whole lot of things in one month directly before the end of my senior year, and it was kind of just like, well, I'm not going to go to school for music because. I got rejected from this place and I had this whole like crisis and I was like yeah I had I was like totally like freaking out and very depressed about feeling like I was not uh adequate <laughs> you know because I couldn't even get I couldn't even get into my like my first choice music school so I was like it doesn't even, I was like it doesn't even matter what I go to college for anymore because mm-hmm. I don't want to go to music school anywhere else I don't even know if I want to go to music school so okay my friend Peter's moving to Philly I know that I want to continue to play mu- music and I know like a ton of bands that I am interested in live in Philadelphia, and it seems like like shit is just really popping off there. So I'll uh, move there, I guess. And like, <coughs> I applied to Temple, and I just like, it was kind of just I, I, like through the whole process, that like, going that like just trying to go to college, trying to get in, was for me. Like, I just like I kind of didn't care anymore, and it was more. I started to see it more from a perspective of where am I going to be happy. Uh, or at least where am I going to feel comfortable or feel like I can grow into a person that I will want to be. So, yeah, I moved I moved to Temple, uh, I guess, four years ago. I lived in the dorms for a year, and I lived in North Philly at 10th and Susquehanna, and then I lived in South Philly at 18th and Federal with uh, this man to my left. Um, and uh, then I moved to 20th and Tasker. And... I've done, I did shows at my house in North Philly and I did shows at my house in South Philly and... Did the, did the houses uh, <coughs> have names? Uh, one house, the first house was called, oh actually I lived, we lived MySpace, in North, yeah. yeah we lived in North Philly together too, yeah. I forgot, I always forget about MySpace. that. MySpace. Yeah, yeah, MySpace, I lived at a house called MySpace and I lived at a house called uh, All City. Well, the, the whole title, <laughs> the whole title, okay, the whole title, 
is all city fuckboys. Mm-hmm. And people like to call it a whole lot of other things, and that is the, none of those other things in the name. <laughs> uh, what, what does this mean? Um, <laughs> you said it, so now you have to explain okay, it. So, okay, so... Well, the problem, the problem is that the term fuckboy has... It, it has become very popular, and it has... I feel like the... Uh, the, among the meaning, the meaning has well among among maybe I guess maybe people my age, but and a lot of a lot of people don't don't like it and find it problematic. And I, well, I, you wouldn't define fuckboy for the you to know, me a fuckboy is somebody some, to me a fuckboy <laughs> is somebody who does not really have an understanding of uh, social cues that are really just based on general respect for people around you mm-hmm. and does not know how to effectively communicate themselves in a way that is non-threatening and not abusive to the people around them uh but so basically we were calling ourselves that to be ironic because i i personally don't i don't like i don't really have any tolerance for for a fuck boy (laughs) that's uh so that yeah so that's there's that but um. Yeah, we lived at that house. Uh, I lived at that house for two years. We did shows there as well. Very good. Uh, Soul Glow. How did this come together, and when? Um, a couple months. Uh, I guess almost a year ago now. I just put a post up. I knew a bunch of my bands were. Well, the only other band I was in was Near Its End, and uh, I just kind of went to jam with some kids, like something heavier. And um, actually, both these gentlemen, we were doing a band called Herb that didn't last too long. And then me and him kept trying to play, and people just kept not working out. So uh put a thing up, and this kid, Dustin, who, who's our drummer, uh, sent me a message going, hey, I love the jam. And I was like, all right, cool. And I just like kind of kept on the back burner until like, more time freed up. And uh, one of his friends was this kid, Ethan. So also our bass player. He had been coming to my house for a lot of shows at the time. A lot of shows I was booking, he was just end up showing up. And I was just like, you'd be cool to jam with. Like, you play bass? I was like, yeah. And I've known this gentleman now for three, four years? Yeah, because I think they met at IHOP, right? Yeah, we definitely it's, met it's at really IHOP. Hard. You it's met you, at IHOP? Yeah, it's honestly, I, I have a lot of people in my life that I <laughs> can't remember how I... IHOP. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a house venue yeah. called IHOP. No, I know what you're talking but, about, but... Uh, but someone else might I, not. I was booking shows there, and I used to see him, but we'd never spoke for, like, the first five months I saw him. I honestly, like, can't even remember. Were you just shooting glances, like, little lover's glances at each other, but he was just, no, it was just kind of like, there was, like, four other black dudes I would see, and I would just be like, all right, but, like, I was like, I'm going to chase you down now. Like, it was just like, we never really spoke, and then one day we were both drunk. I feel like there's definitely like a, a weird social dynamic between black people who at shows who don't know each other. Me, you, Marquise, just like the, yeah, Carter. These, uh, these, uh. these like, these like glances, like yeah. that are just made like, oh, I don't know what they're about. But it's like that's like I don't know. I also feel very, I, I don't know. Maybe that only exists in my mind, but I feel like I'm very conscious of it, and it like makes me feel. Do you want to be the only black dude at the show? Like no, you're in conversation with not, the other? Absolutely yeah. not. No, I, I mean I. It's it's unfortunate because I I feel like I'm very conscious of this and it's like I wish that I didn't. Some places have you to go, be. it can be it becomes either really hostile or really nice. Where like, and a lot of times you hope it to be nice because like you other times it's like, nothing. Yeah, you just go play. There's just people there. That's all that matters. Other times like, 
I've seen, I've been around people who just, like, talk down the other people of color in the room and, like, for no real reason, like, just kind of, like, shit-talking the hell out of them and just, like, they didn't say anything to you and it's, like, this weird territorial thing that I never fully understood. Even to this day, I don't get, but, like, so sometimes you, you don't not act because, like, some people act really weird about that. Yeah. It happened a lot when I was a kid, like, I remember going to shows and, like, there's one black dude who hated my guts for like two years. Don't know why. <laughs> but he just did not like me. You know, people just like look at you like, yes, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's the light skin, dark skin thing that like I just hate so much. Mm. Mm, but that's that's neither here nor there. Not right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, I always wanted to see what he'd be like as a front person. So just, I hit him up. We had one jam session. It went super well and we just, Kept doing it, and then he, after the first practice, he told us, like, what his idea were for lyrics, to which then I was like, yep, that's what I've always wanted. <laughs> well, coming in at, starting a band in 2014, when there's 300 years of punk hardcore behind you, when you're coming together, how do you decide what, what you're going to do that's going to differentiate you from all that has already existed? What is it going to be unique to your band? I partially feel like that's, like, sort of... It's that's like sort of an like an impossible question because it's like I, I like on, on the one hand I feel like like because I am just one person who is just living in this world and just wants to speak about what I've been through. There's no better person to do that than me. So I feel like in that way it's gonna be different from anybody's anything because it's just this is just my this is just my words for Soglo, but. Uh, but you know, but then at the same time, there's also like all of these things that I like about music, and then all of these things that I dislike about music. So I feel like it's partially me just wanting to be myself, but me also like reacting to what, like, I to what I do and don't like about music, and just like wanting to exude those mm -hmm. those musical goals in like what I help to arrange with my bandmates, I guess. Well, Ruben said that he was drawn to what you wanted to present, what your ideas were, uh, you know, to, to say to people. So what, what, what are those things that you, you wanted to get across to people in the lyrics and in the, with the band? I'm basically interested in just like detailing uh, my feelings as, I guess, like in total, <coughs> I, I come back I come back over and over again to just being like a black male in a, living in America because right now that's like uh, I think just what dominates my consciousness the most and it's um, just learning all of these new ways that I feel like were that were uh, kept from me from all of the different you know sources of information that I've that I've been taught by my whole life and now it's kind of this is like solo is my uh like my 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 way of understanding like all of my past selves that I was too emotionally like downtrodden or too young to understand um and it's also about the things that I feel uh that I cannot tolerate in our society and things that I that I see happening that I see other people doing and things that I help to contribute to, even though I detest them. Mm -hmm. 
and like all of the conflicting I mean it's largely about conflicting feelings because I feel like I'm just so uh, upset by so many things that come with you know living in America and I'm so much more aware of them again because of my ethnicity and it's it's very uh it's it's so emotionally taxing that like I I just feel like I I will at least come to some kind at least some kind of understanding about myself <coughs> if I write if I write down uh if I write down these words and these thoughts and try to arrange them poetically and then sing them in this band. But you've got three three other people uh, in the band, and mm -hmm. these seem to be your ideas, uh, your vision that you're putting forward. So do you feel that the other members of the band are behind what you are putting forward you know, from your lyrics and your vocal performance? That it's not just, you know, you're doing a solo performance and you're being backed by, by three yeah, members. Yeah, no, I definitely don't. I mean, I hope it's not like that. <laughs> no, he, he generally shows us the lyrics before he, he sings them, as if we have any questions about what it's a, about the meaning. And they tend to be dense and, ex and extremely long. And um, everyone, everyone has an opportunity to discuss it openly and freely. You know, any concerns, any, you know. So we all, we all do have an understanding of it. Um... We all pretty much put the same amount of work into the writing process, as far as like musically, and we all agreed towards what he wanted to do vocally. Because we generally try to be very open with one of one another and be like, "Here's what this is about," or "Here's what we're trying to do with this," or you know, we try to make sure everyone's on the same page, so it mm -hmm. doesn't come across as him doing a performance while the rest of it's just kind of like right, right. back him up. Like right. everyone's very much involved. And, well, that, okay. oh, and the other thing is that I always want for it to like for personal discussion of these songs and what they mean to us to remain open. Like it's never like I write the lyrics and then if you guys agree then that's it. But, like you know what I mean? Like I like this is a <coughs> this this is a process for all of us and so you know, we are gonna be constantly coming to new understandings of ourselves like while we while we do this. And so if at any time like anything that I'm talking about seems to you know seems to be need, seems to need to be discussed at any point ever in the future like that's never anything that I want to you know to try to suppress because like it's, that would be counterproductive right right when when you're singing when you're performing live clearly no one's going to understand what you're talking about because yeah. you're you know you're barking out vocals and yeah. unless you're speaking in between songs and providing a context or an explanation right. people aren't going to know what you're talking about later they can read the lyrics or before I saw that you on your Bandcamp page you had the lyrics, which very few bands bother to do, and I thought it was great that you had them up there. Do you think that people listening to the music, reading the lyrics, have an understanding of what you're trying to put across? I think it really depends on whether or not they chose to read the lyrics first. I, I know I've had to come to more of an understanding that uh, that not everybody is interested in lyrical content. And people are mostly just like they just listen to the music, or they don't even just they might not even know that like our lyrics are <coughs> are, are as specific as as I as they are. Um, so, like part of it, like part of like me trying to like bridge the gap between like you know my totally unintelligible vocals, and also like probably when you sit down and read it. Like the majority of our audience is probably gonna look at it and be like, "What the fuck?" And just <laughs> so, like, I mean, kind of I feel like 
but I, I, I try at the very least with like, I guess like the way that I sing or I don't know, whatever, scream or yell or whatever. Like I try at the very least to have certain parts that, that I would, that I would, you know, like to think are <laughs> more, more important concepts to, to, you know, be a little bit more uh, intelligible. But I also kind of like invite. I, I part of the reason why I want to have most of my vocals be unintelligible is to. I don't know. I'd like. I'd like to invite people to look into the words because it's not like. I don't know. I I I feel like I I hope that at the very least it sounds like I'm putting forth some kind of effort, and that it look and that somebody would would be hearing the vocals and be like like just at in some way uh like compelled to look to look to the lyrics Mm -hmm. but i i also partially feel as though i have no control over that i just like i just know that like there are a lot of things that i say that i cannot express without screaming them because it's like that's that was just like said to me once that you know you shouldn't ever scream in a band or anything if you don't actually are if you're not actually saying anything that you like that you need to scream mm-hmm. and like the way that I kind of approach this band is that like I don't know the th- the things that I that I need to scream I'm, I'm I, I need to scream for a reason. Yeah. One of the things I noticed about your lyrics is that uh, several of them use the word nigger here and there, uh, and certainly this is a word that's not going to turn up that often in punk lyrics but that lots of people clearly have extremely strong feelings about, probably you know, both of you and as well as members of your family would probably have different feelings about you know, whether you should be using the word nigger or not. So I was curious how, what both of you think about putting this out into the world uh, through the lyrics and through your band. Well, I think that that word is indicative of many things that I feel about people's perception of me, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And I feel as though it is also representative of like many negative feelings that I have about myself. And I feel as though it is simply a very necessary word to use. And the difference (coughs) is that in punk music, people are not really in a position where they can say that word and have it mean something uh, <laughs> besides t- a totally horrible, uh, basically, accusation of someone's of someone's character, mm-hmm. or to or even worse, just at, at as an attempt to dehumanize somebody, but. I mean, these songs that we write are about dehumanization, but it's about the dehumanization that I personally have experienced. So that, like, to me, like, using, to me using that word should be representative of the fact that you have been dehumanized in, like, in the way that that word is indicative of. Ruben, what do you think about use of the word? I'm not gonna lie. Uh, when you just said it, I flared up in the natural response. Where yeah, like, I actually did too. <laughs> but at my question or at your yeah, response? Just because. No, just, no, no, be- just, just, just the word in general. Like yeah. something people are like, 
sometimes when I hear it, I, 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 it's been used in ways with me. I mean, if you've been a black person, it's been used in a shit way. And for but, certain people, it's very triggering. Oh yeah, sure. it's a knee-jerk reaction because there's nothing worse that that I or anyone else could call you than yeah. that. Yeah, that that's the, you just called like it was a knee-jerk. I was just like, oh wait, all right. Yeah. Um. But that was that's just I always just say that's one thing that and, I, and I would recommend <laughs> that all people are aware of when they're discussing this subject with anybody. I mean, the first time I saw I saw the lyrics to some of the songs uh, where he dropped the word. Like he told he told me way before he was like this this gonna get used and I was just like all right <laughs> like because it's it's a, it's a even weirder thing just because like with some people that you may not know especially if like if they hear words like the big question comes into play where what if it comes down to a day where you're like especially in punk hardcore you sing a song and someone looks back at you and says the word back to you but not a face that you would want saying it back to you. Because then it automatically triggers the reason why you just said it. And yeah, all the I guess you set yourself up for a sing along. You know, like people are piling on top. But like it would be that doesn't really like, happen at our shows either. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, don't, yeah. we don't get that reaction. Yeah. Well, it's like a staring. Yeah. But it's cool. I'm not. Um, but yeah, like that's that's that was that's always been like a fair like the day that happens. Like would I be like? Oh, cool! Someone knows the words, or will I be like, "I'm gonna take off this guitar and I'm gonna fight someone"? Like, just natural reaction would be like, "Oh, hell, must break loose." So I guess it's like a thing that like I'm, I'm so curious to what will happen if that ever does happen. But I feel like the usage of it is necessary because I don't know. For for the first time in a, in a while, like I very much care about the lyric lyrical content in this band where I've been in many bands before that I did not resonate as hard with the lyrics as I would, let's say, in this band. <laughs> I also feel as though uh, my personal choice to use that word when I feel it's necessary also will really help to bring a, a much more... Because I... Oh, this is... Okay, so to be honest, I feel as though uh, everything that I'm saying in these songs is only going to be really, truly like felt on the level that I feel like people are would be drawn to like another another band like their lyrics like people are going to be um, people very few people are going to be I feel like emotionally <laughs> invested in this band I feel like largely a lot of the people around me feel like they can't be. And that's like a very strange and conflicting thing. But you, uh, you ultimately don't know how people are going to continue to react to the band because you're going to go off on tours and release things and innumerable people that you will have no personal communication with will hear your music and read your works. That is true. Um, and basically, basically what I'm referring <coughs> to is just, uh, the, just, just the fact that we have a, a majority white audience. So like... I, part of the reason why that word to me is important to use is because this, like it, sh it should, it, like it should, it should stand out to you, mm -hmm. because 
this because like you should it should cause you to, to really question your surroundings and question why this word stands out to you and why you haven't heard it discussed in your music before and yeah. and it does and that's why i'm asking you yeah and that's I, why just, I, I just it. like i but to me just i mean i don't know to me it's uh i'm i'm i feel like i'm just as interested in hearing how it makes other people feel other other non-black people <laughs> how, it, how it makes them feel because i uh i think that i'm like i'm saying this to my to my audience which is going to be made up of many different kinds of people and it's it's how i feel and i definitely need to know that even though my a lot of my feelings that i put out in this band are uh, politically and racially motivated I need to know that you know at the very least they can at least call someone to just stop for one second and be like this is really this 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 has jarred me from from my connection to my bubble my feeding tube <laughs> uh, one of the things <coughs> I've thought about a lot in doing the project is the is role models and the role that they play in people's lives. And that's why I brought that up earlier in the conversation. Because in talking to a lot of people, I found that there are certain people that they looked up to that kind of provided some sort of guidance in their life. And then later when they became performers, they found whether they expected it or not, that other people were going to look up to them and were going to get some kind of uh, guidance or information uh, from, from these people, these performers. Uh, and that they, in turn, would become role models for others. Um, so what I ask of the, of the two of you, young band, going forward with strong lyrical content, you're going to find that there are going to be people who are going to look up to you, who are going to want to know what you have to say. And I think that there's a, a more pressure on people who are, let's say, non-white performing in punk hardcore, because people are going to be looking at them much more closely and especially, say, young black kids are going to look and say, here's someone who looks like me, who is in this band. I don't see that many people who look like me here in these performances. What is this person saying? So the question is, do you feel that you have a sense of responsibility to younger people who are going to look at you as potentially a role model? And this is for both of you, so you can both address <laughs> uh, I guess I never I mean I know that that will kind of exist in any scenario like I've had friends of mine that like I told later on in years that like I could looked up to when we were like kids and like we were doing things and I guess just like it's a weird concept just cause so your self-perception will never be what other people view you as. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to even, like, take yourself out of that mindset of, like, no, this is me. I don't know what anyone else views me as because it's, it's a paranoia that I can't, like, normally just think of. Because I think that regardless of if someone's looking at you or not, you should you should probably be trying to do things in a certain way, like, Regardless if someone's looking up to me or not, like, I still don't want to be a shitty person to anybody or, like, I would still want to talk about the same things that we're doing. Like, I still want to be going about things the way that we are. Like, 
regardless of if someone's watching me or not. And I feel like once you start worrying about specifically how other people view you, it could then muck up what you're actually trying to pull forward. It becomes less genuine because you might just only be trying to do it for an audience instead of like what it should be about for you. Because if you mean if you mean something positive and you're doing it in a good way, it shouldn't be a bad thing if someone's watching you or not. Yeah, yeah I'm very much less interested in trying to, to seem like a good person for somebody else as I am just wanting to be a good person. And I feel like that's like, I mean, simply, I mean, the reason, the reason why I do this band and I say these things that I say and I try to communicate the things that I try to communicate is partially because of just the fact that I need to, I need to, I feel like I need to speak the truth and I need to, you know, I need to get this out, but it's like, but I'm also, I'm, I just can't, I can't pretend like no other people are going to hear what I'm saying. It's, it's not just going to like, you know, bounce off the walls and come back to me. So I feel like I do have, I do owe some kind of responsibility to like every, everything around me to speak some kind of truth about my, my personal existence in hopes that it will help other people to... <clears throat> either deal with similar situations or worse situations or to just understand that they might be con- they might be contributing to situ- to circumstances and situations which you know lead people like me to have to scream out in anger in the first place and i mean so i i, I don't I, i'm like i'm like aware of that but i don't really know if that's what I think that being a role model is just because I just think that that's just trying to do like the, like the, the honest and right thing mm-hmm. and I feel like if I'm going to, if I'm going to do if I'm going to you know do any band I should try to just be as honest as possible about my feelings whatever they're about um, and I don't know I just like I'm not trying to write anything or like ever like write like do anything that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. So like I don't know like I, it's but like none of this is to make people look up to me. But it's just so that I can be the kind of person that I would respect. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I I bring this up because uh, recently I interviewed uh, Jenna Pop, who for those listening mm-hmm. who who don't know, uh, is a trans woman uh, and. I was asking her if she felt that there was uh, any pressure on her as role model because you're not going to see a lot of trans women fronting bands. Uh, and uh, many trans queer people, there's a high rate of suicide for young people that way because of the way that society makes them feel or the confusion that they have inside. So they will look to someone who is speaking to them uh, and they're not going to find probably that many people who are speaking to the, the, the people that they are. Uh, so they're going to gravitate towards them. And I was asking Jenna, did she feel that there was um, a pressure on her to put out something of a positive message because some of the people listening would potentially uh, be in very vulnerable positions and could wind up finding harm either from outside sources or internal sources or, or sources within their family. Uh, so that's why I was asking, you know, when you go forward as someone who... Um, is, is not seen as being as represented as, as others, 
<laughs> do you feel that there's something there's more of a there's more of an eye on you you know if you're going to use a certain word or you're going to put forward a certain idea that there's going to be young people who are going to be like oh that guy's like me i want to know you know what, what what's he saying what's he what's he trying to tell me what should i do yeah i mean i just suppose that i get that i hope so i i guess but i mean more i mean i, I wouldn't i wouldn't want someone to to look to somebody else to like to look to me necessarily to gain some kind of insight to themselves i would like to i would like for them to look at like the words to gain some kind of insight to themselves because like the words are not well i i don't know <laughs> i feel like i i feel as though i just i just because i am not a perfect person I would feel uneasy about somebody feeling like I was bigger than like the words that I'm writing in this band. Right. Like because I'm just the words tend to have more of a longer lifespan than you do. I mean, you yeah. put the words and the performance out there, and you could like fall in a fucking hole in the ground and never be heard from again. But if it's on tape, you know, if it's out there, then the ideas kind of move forward, and people will continue to absorb them. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I guess I just, I just wouldn't want to become some kind of, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be seen as anything more than somebody than a person that somebody can approach and speak to, and even though these are like very serious subjects, like using very serious words, I, I still want someone to feel like this is something that I have noticed. And it, and because I this person is writing about them, I feel like if I ever met this person, I could talk to them about it. Because even though that that also terrifies me, someone wanting to talk to me about my words, it's like that's what I I feel that's what I know that I need to do. Yeah, I mean, inevitably it'll happen because if you're going out on tour, uh, you know, people are going to talk yeah. to you, and if they're going to hear snippets of what you're saying, yeah, I imagine we're some sitting, people are we're sitting here doing this right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is also terrifying. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's a certain permanence if you send your words into this little piece of plastic and they wind up living forever and you don't want them to haunt you. But oh, yeah. uh, um, I don't think you need to worry about that. But uh, all right, so going forward now with the band, uh, you, it's a, did you release a tape in the band camp or was it, what is the, is there a we, format? We have, we have a, a full-length tape that uh, my roommate Steph put out on Girls Cartel Records. Um, we're actually waiting for the next batch of them. Um, we're about to go record another seven-song, like, EP mixtape. Yeah, we're just kind of, kind of seeing. Are you we have... sticking to the tape format, which I can remember from my golden youth, but it... For right, uh, I mean, for right no. now, that's all we can afford. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, have you had anyone approach you about releasing on a vinyl CD? Um, someone has briefly mentioned it, but no, like... Concrete talks with anyone. I do know someone who has some some interest, but we could I'll mention that later. Uh, oh, well, but but oh. we don't forget that now. But on the record, our surprise is noted. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're gonna go record the seven song EP. Um, we're six songs in. We're gonna finish one more hopefully by next week. And we're gonna go record it. We're doing two weeks. In August, we're doing another weekend at the end of June. Just where where are you playing in uh, August? 
We're gonna go down as far as Texas, then as like like Missouri is the middle of the countries we got, and then back home. We're gonna keep doing some weekends till he's done school. And then the real fun begins. And then we're going to hopefully go across this beautiful, ugly country. Beautiful country. Yeah, um, if this you've never been to Utah, time. it gets no weirder. <laughs> Utah is an interesting place. There's a lot of nothing. A lot of nothing. A lot of a lot of very heavy Christian folk who they don't know if they like you until about the second you're about to leave. But then you go to Colorado and you're like, oh my god, I totally get the. First it wasn't. Two. It wasn't like that a couple years ago, man. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking. I'm talking about just how beautiful it is. Just oh. like. You my, go there and it's like the first two lines of uh, America the Beautiful. I'm just like, oh my Colorado god, this piece of rhetoric means so much now. Colorado, <laughs> parts of Montana, just the most beautiful parts of this fucking country. But yeah, we're just trying to, we're just going to keep riding until we can't ride anymore. We're, for some reason, it hasn't been that hard for us to write songs. It's just, it's been like... It, I, I don't. I don't know. Do you feel that the two of you are the are the core of the band? No way. Okay, so no way. it's, it's, it's like, fully it's a all, four. All four of us just like sit in a room and just flesh it out, and it's just like somehow we've started with every single person at one point in time. Like we've had our bass player be playing something, and we're like, "All right, we're gonna start from there," or like our drummer's coming apart. Like, "Hey, I came up with this beat. Can you guys yeah. do something?" We're like, "Yeah, of course we can." Yeah, no, it's 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 strange because I didn't really know. Our drummer and bass player, their names are Dustin and Ethan. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't really know them very well at all. I would see Damn. Dustin at shows sometimes, and I would see, and Ethan's band, old band, played in my house a couple times, but like, like we just like sat, like the very first time we sat down, we just like, we just like, you know, kind of chilling and being like, we just want to write some something that sounds ugly, and then, mm-hmm. but it was like. After like after after like the first song was written, we were like that went that was very that went very smoothly. Yeah, two songs on the full length were written from that first practice. Yeah, it's just like it's it's just odd how how very comfortable it is. Honestly, it's it's the age gap is also fun. I am ten years older than our drummer, and nine years older than our bass player. But we all act like twelve year olds. So that's cool. The real question would be like, how do you get on when you tour? Because you're all stuck in a stinky box together. Well, we try as long as there's green. We'll yeah, be okay. honestly, <laughs> we just try very hard not to make each other mad. <laughs> like that's and we, it's like, we will talk about anything. Yeah, as much as we have to. Yeah, we try to be as honest with each other as possible, just so that like. You know, because it's so easy for for boys to be like, I don't want to talk about it. And it's like... The boys don't have feelings, right? Well, apparently. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just like such a waste of time to even, like, think that's how you should live your life. But, I mean, that's like so... That's like just like some trying not to. shit. Like, We've all been trying to grow together. Not, so you're all getting in touch with each other's feelings? Well, I mean, we just don't want to be offensive to one another. We want to respect everyone's spaces, how they like to be spoken to, and just like the little things, just like, you gotta show love to me. Yeah, I mean, like, this is like my fucking team, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, and I'm imagining like all of the things that I would like to do with this band, and I would like to do it with people that I trust very much, and like, people who and also I'm not talking about just bullshit in these songs in my opinion so I would like for them to you know know me on like a very deep level and like and to know that like I am not infallible like like I do not and I and I'm not like unapproachable like I would like very much like even though I like to act like it sometimes like I would like very much for like for just 
like my bandmates to know that like I like because I am very serious about this, I'm also very very serious about them and being mm-hmm. there for them when it counts. I saw a YouTube clip of a performance, and at the beginning, you addressed the audience saying that, like, if people were, you know, going to be fighting or, or something or behaving aggressively, mm-hmm. that you throw them out, and then you said, "I'm not afraid of any of you" or something like that. Oh, that was our second show. That was bad. That was our second show. Just because, like, I thought that I just like from like the, looking at like the event page for that show, it seemed like there were a lot of tough guys there who thought that they were, I don't know, who thought that like who just made me feel. Like there, they, they, there were certain things that they were thought that they thought they were going to be allowed to do that mm-hmm. were going to be okay. Like, and, did you see uh, that playing did, out at the show during our set? No, and I feel like I totally just killed the vibe because it's not like I don't. This is this. I feel like this. Is nah, there was no killing the vibe. Like we were doing it all night. The show's at Lava Space, and at the end of the day, you don't want to mess up anyone's spot. And like they made that clear to us as people who were helping to rent out the space. So, we don't need people's meathead vibes, like, at this show. Like, Ser- uh, yes, yeah. it's Magruder grind. Yes, it's that lava space. Doesn't mean you have to be a jerk to one another. Like, we're all there to have fun. We all paid money. We should all be able to enjoy ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of that. Yeah. And we were the first band up, so we were like, no one knows us. It's their second show. We don't have any music up. So, we were just like, screw it. <laughs> if you're a jerk, we're going to kick you out. And we kept that up for most of the night. That's what I'm saying. It's just, I mean... Like the general rule with this band is, if you are cool, we are cool. If mm-hmm. you like, you know, what I'm saying that's like, I don't know. I feel like people may have gotten this impression that like I don't like moshing, but there's just a respectful way to enjoy yourself at a show, and like yeah, performing say kickboxing that. or yeah, mixed martial arts in the middle of the pit, you know, probably not the yeah, best. <laughs> it's, and it's just like I don't know. To me, it's just a common sense and a common courtesy thing. But for some people, it's very that's a difficult concept to understand, and I don't understand why that is. How do you think the Phillies reacted to you so far in the relatively short time that you've been a band? Different parts, different reactions. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've yeah had I mean, the joy of playing different types of crowds. Which is not really, it's what we hoped for, but definitely not what we uh, expected. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm just, I'm definitely extremely grateful for like anybody who has made it known that they like, fuck with us because that really means a lot, like considering like what we talk about in these songs and like how I, you know, could potentially rub a lot of people the wrong way. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you for the thing is because I felt like wh- what you were putting out was something serious. They weren't silly songs about drinking and girls, but there was there were ideas being put forth. And to me, that always seems to be the core of hardcore punk is like of serious ideas being addressed. Well, um, we do have a song about girls, but <laughs> it's about but it, do- it doesn't seem to be the main. It's just main not. Focus. It's, but it's just not a bullshit song about yeah. girls. It's about women and how they should be <laughs> not. Kill in the streets. Well, yeah, that. yeah, that's a little yeah. bit different from like, uh, you know, you let yeah. me, let's make out, whatever, you know, pop yeah. punk. Uh, I definitely, I definitely feel you though. Yeah. It's just, it's been, it's been cool. Gotten to play with bands that like, always respected to a great degree, or like some younger bands that are like we're friends with that are like, also doing really well, saying some really cool things. Like, our drummers in another band called Disinterest. They're fucking tight. They're a great punk band that like kind of talk more on like gender neutrality in kind of a in a nihilistic sense I, I don't know exactly how to express it in the best way but we've been playing with them uh, we just actually did a battle set with them it's been cool and to even be like on the same bills like Flag of Democracy or like hers it's a lot it means a lot I mean it really has yeah I mean I, just I mean just anyway I mean we've 
NY and 64, the Rockers show that they put on like Space yeah, Jumpy and Glacier. Yeah, like, played, yeah Pins was Blast, I always respected that band. Like, <laughs> it's been really great. Like, it's been reactions that couldn't have been more excited to have had. And a lot of different people asking us to play in their spaces, and that's been really chill. I, I can't express, like, the, how grateful I am about it. Yeah, honestly. It's like, that's like, I feel that's, I mean, I, I don't know I don't know how people think of us as people but we like we're all just I feel like when we go to a show we're just like like, like this it just we can't even believe that like anybody like especially I mean there have been a lot of bands where we just like can't even believe that like they think that we are like I don't know like I, I it's just it's just nuts I feel like I have like these vision these these all these still all these like inferior feelings like and I and, like around everyone around me is still like so cool and it's like I don't know sometimes it's just like it's just like really like mind blowing for for someone even to just like look in my direction and be like that was nice I'm just like yo there's I there's very few words to describe it because it's based on so many deep and complicated feelings that I and like you know use, using this band to understand <laughs> fantastic all right i guess we'll uh, wrap it up i'm going to thank both of you for coming out here and uh, and talking yeah, to me it was, it was, it was absolutely yeah, my pleasure to be here thank so happy much. to be here thanks <laughs>